Market intelligence, studying supply and demand factors can be a pretty dry subject, but an extremely important one for anyone in any industry. So it's refreshing to read the work of Thomas Elder Market Analysts Matt Dalgleish and Andrew Whitelaw, who bring insightful observations to light, not to mention the fun they bring to their very professional Ag Watchers podcast. Well, we're about to hear from them, as well as Woolgra and WA Farmers President John Hassel. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So every now and then in life, you meet people that bring a breath of fresh air and energy to a job. And at the recent WA Farmers Conference at Muresk, it was a great pleasure to see the Thomas Elder Market Analysts and hear what they had to say. Matt Dalgleish and Andrew Whitelaw. Thanks for having us. I think the term is less professional podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, amazing times in agriculture and you're um, doing the rounds, for want of a better term, to... For to a number of conferences because you're men in demand and what sort of a reception are you getting uh, people optimistic around the country i think generally yes i think you know like um certainly they seem happy to see us andrew yeah. and look for the most part i mean i know there's some issues with things like fertilizer and high fuel pricing and stuff but you know on the positive side you're getting good commodity prices across a whole range of commodities really so um generally i think the, the feeling's upbeat and, and we're um enjoying some of that kind of upbeat feeling as well yeah, I think the other thing as well is like the climate has been good. Last two or three years, mm. we've had fantastic rains. Like Western Australia is looking like another good crop. Actually, most of the country is looking like a good crop. So it just adds that bit of buoyancy and a bit of confidence into the into the whole industry. So it's good. It's great to have uh, your analysis uh, that brings a, a new freshness to uh, uh, agricultural journalism, for want of a better term. But how are you enjoying? Doing what you do. Yeah, love it. Like, we, we, we're in quite a lucky position in that we do what we love. Uh, it doesn't make any money, but we do what we love. Uh, and it's a passion project. But no, it's a good opportunity for us to sort of be able to take, I guess, that creativity that we've got and the banter that we've got and then turn it into insightful analysis that hopefully people read and understand. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's for people that have met, met us or read the articles actively, I think there's no surprise that Andrew and I both love markets and love being involved in ag, I think, and that shows in what we do. Um, so it's, it's been really, it's exciting times because it's interesting stuff to talk about as well. I know the volatility for some people gets a bit hair raising, but for an analyst, it's nice to have something to talk about. <laughs> and, and the thing is, like, I guess from our point of view, markets are not complicated. Markets are really simple. The problem is when people try and overcomplicate it, fill it with jargon, make themselves seem smart, and it just, it's useless. And that's why we try and just keep everything simple and just understandable. Pair it back. Um, so in terms of markets, the wool market uh, in recent times has been relatively stable, talking about the, the Eastern Market Indicator, which some people like, some people don't, but it is what is quoted. COVID, obviously, it had quite a hit, but uh, you know, in the last couple of years, it's been remarkably stable historically. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and particularly, I mean, I've been impressed with that recovery of the fine end as well. So, yeah, it's getting back to those levels we saw, you know, 2018, um, which is, you know, really strong times, right? Um, but I think, broadly speaking, I think, you know, the prospects are fairly good for the wool market. There's a couple of concerns I've got in the global picture, but we've just got to wait to see how that they play out. But, um, yeah, generally speaking, I think it's been a, a good result for wool. I think it's generally, it has been really stable. When mm. you look at it year on year, it's pretty much the same level, yep. the EMI as it was this time last year. I think other fibres have probably done a little bit better. The cotton has done better, but at times that's got its own sort of set of fundamental supply and demand drivers. 
but like you say, it will it will come back up again hopefully. But you've looked at the wool cotton ratio and also uh, some synthetics relative to wool, mm. and wool is seeming relatively cheap at the moment. Why is that, Andrew? Well, I reckon like at the moment the cotton indicator or cotton versus wool is about three three to one. Yep. Uh, whereas historically for the last decade it's been more like about seven mm. uh, so that puts it back to really getting close to the lowest almost since the reserve price scheme um, but why that's occurring I think look at partly it's because of less about factors in wool and more about factors in cotton I think with, with supply availability um, demand out of China has been strong for cotton their imports have been pretty strong the last really since slightly before COVID but I think over time, it tends to just revert back to its average. So we'll probably see that come back to that sort of five or sixes as, as a ratio. And looking at, uh, I mean, cashmere, we've been chasing, the fine end of the uh, wool industry has been really chasing cashmere as, the, as opposed to getting away from cotton. And I don't know what cashmere is, but it's generally over $100 a kilogram. So uh, wool's looking even cheaper relative to that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm 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 not far from that uh, Creswick uh, mill that has a lot of that kind of cashmere product, and you know, so it's a, it's definitely a, a luxurious item, that's for sure. So so maybe it's a a good point actually to say that any of the you know institutional investors who listen to your podcast <laughs> should be buying up wool and stockpiling it for uh, for the, the the when it actually gets valued at its proper value. So um, for this conference, I put a lot of work into the presentation yesterday um, to, as an overview of Wool's research, development and, and marketing. Um, what did you make of it? <laughs> we, had, we, had a, we had a teleconference. Oh no, I was absolutely devastated. You, you, you I've come you. all the way, all the way over here looking for two blokes in the audience. Here I have finally yeah. a chance to impress you and... You weren't bloody there. So can you please tell well, me why you well, weren't yeah. there? I was absolutely devastated. There was, there was two reasons, both valid. One, we had a, a, a hook-up with a client, but then after that we had to prepare our own conferences <laughs> today because we're, we're very tardy with our... Uh, and, 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 and I wanted to just point out something, Marius. We're presenting at 10 o'clock, and, and where are you going to be? Uh, I'll be on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Touche. Well done. So uh, now, in terms of logistics, look, one of the slides I did put up yesterday was that amazing image that you probably saw a I few weeks it. ago of, <laughs> of all the ships around oh, China, yes, just yes. completely blocked. Yes. What's, the, what's the situation with shipping at the moment? That's going to be really interesting because we we sort of did a bit of analysis uh, probably about maybe maybe two months ago, mm. where there was a lot of people saying, "Oh, the supply chains are back working," because Los Angeles was empty. There was no, there was hardly any waiting time. Unloading boats, but last two years it's been you know, weeks, hundred weeks, days or whatever days. sitting outside the LA port, wow. and that, that all kind of cleared. That backlog cleared, and it was it was nonsense. It's not cleared. Yeah. What happened is all the new COVID lockdowns in China had meant all the boats were waiting in China, and so there's just going to be this big burp as China <laughs> eventually opens up and starts exporting. Los Angeles, Rotterdam, they get packed again. So we got all these problems where. Supply chains have never, since the start of COVID, been able to get back to normal because there's been start, stop, start, stop. All over the place. Blockade, blockade. Yeah. And we're seeing just this real change, like wool's obviously moved in containers, and we're seeing this real big change in the container price where containers going into China cost nothing, or they cost the same as they used to, but containers coming out of China are massively expensive. And so... And then we look at it from an Australian point of view, we're not 
on, I guess, a main sort of transit route. Mm. So our availability of containers is low, and that's the biggest issue. And the price is actually higher than it should be. So we're having all these challenges, and it's going to take a long time for that to... So that's reducing our competitiveness on a, on a few levels? Well, possibly not. No, when we talk about our relative competitiveness, who is our competitors in rule? South Africa, they're expensive as well. Uruguay, they're expensive as well for freight. So really, wherever you buy it from, it's going to be expensive. Yeah, and the Kiwis who are just upset you didn't mention them also a yeah. long way from anywhere. <laughs> exactly. But they're all they're all in that kind of you know southern hemisphere and far away from the main shipping routes really to yeah. to where the bulk of the stuff goes right. So it probably is more about not so much a cost factor, but more just a time delay factor hmm. that we're we're kind of you know third or fourth in the queue all the time. So yeah. so everything coming in or out of Australia is taking time. And COVID has changed the world. It really has, hasn't it? I mean, and from a wool industry point of view. Um, Things dropped away very quickly uh, through 2020. Um, I think the EMI uh, dropped out in the 700s at some yep. point and then responded quite strongly. And we, what we have seen is a move away from uh, traditional woven products. And through COVID, knitwear actually did really well. People were at home, they wanted to be comfortable, yep. and uh, knitwear was great. So, And we've had to change a lot of our marketing and product <coughs> development around that as well. What other big macro things have you seen through COVID, such as logistics? Have you noticed, obviously, the world's changed in a marketing sense as well? I think the biggest thing from the last two years, about COVID plus the war in Ukraine, what that's done is, it's not just one change, it's almost constant change. So there's so many different factors that are ebbing and flowing all the time. We had, obviously, with COVID, we had all the stimulus packages in China, the US, here, to keep the economy supported. They've all been pulled. And we're now starting to see probably, what would you say, Matt, probably more of a, a fall in the global economy? Yeah, well, yeah, well, this, this, towards yeah. A recession. recessionary kind of worries, I guess. We're not quite seeing it. <coughs> obviously, there's an increased um, in, inflationary environment and then an increased interest rate environment. So that's being, you know, somewhat troublesome or worrying. But yeah, it's, we're yet to see if that's going to roll into a recession. But I suspect it may do. And it's probably going to be led by the US. And then you've still got... I think China grappling with COVID and trying to pursue this zero COVID policy, which is meaning that we are seeing those lockdowns like we saw in Shanghai. And the risk is that they continue to do those lockdowns and that's mm. going to be a dampener on their economy. So when you've got the US and China both potentially facing you know, some level of economic hurdle, um, that, that, that to me is a bit of a concern more broadly for the global economy and that obviously would flow through the wall. But just on that point around the Chinese lockdowns, is that because they've mostly use the Sinovax and not Western vaccines, they're not willing to use a Western vaccine? I mean, how is it that they're still managing it as we were two years ago? Yeah, and I think it, I think it is, there's a reluctance there to engage with what the rest of the world are doing. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's and obviously, I, I, I'm not, this is a, you know, something that you're taking from the, the discussions around <coughs> the place, but I believe that uh, Xi Jinping's a, sounds like he's a little bit of a germaphobe, so maybe he's overreacting as well to um, to you know the outbreaks that are there, you know. So, but I mean, I guess they've got to, you know, if their if their vaccine is not as effective, they've got to be much more vigilant with the lockdown. So there's some headwinds for for wool potentially, but uh, the fine end has has gone particularly well. We're all still waiting on the broader end of the clip to um, to pick up. Uh, we are, I suppose, Australian. We only produce seven percent of that yep. wool over twenty eight micron. Uh, we're here in the west, which is obviously a massive grain producing place and pretty much every wool grower here is a, a grain producer first. 
Um, just in terms of uh, wool production as part of an on-farm mix, how do you feel about that? And possibly, how do you think AWI could sell it better? Mm. From a, certainly from a West Australian perspective, my actual concern there is around what's happening with the live sheep export. Because I think, you know, you know, I know it's not relevant necessarily to the southeast because we hardly send any sheep anymore from the southeast uh, in terms of live eggs. But West Australia is still heavily dependent on that. And, it, and it's very much part of the, ship, the, the wool industry in WA sending those export weathers out. Um, and I have got concerns if we if we go down the pathway of a, of a phased out ban or, or seeing it end the trade end even if it's over time i do feel that that could have some pressure on the flock within wa in terms of you know seeing a smaller reduced flock um and and what that might mean to the supply chain for the wool industry in wa i've got concerns for longer term um you know so that that's probably a you know a wa specific but, but concern in, i've got but in general terms from a risk management point of view having multiple enterprises is a valuable thing to have whether it's wool whether it's sheep whether it's different types of grains if you're using you know lupins or pulses or whatever you want to do but what it does is it gives you different income streams so we've we've seen in, in the, some research for, in Victoria and you look at the variability of margins on grains very high margins when it's good very low margins when it's bad whereas wool and sheep pigs it's fairly consistent over time. It's fairly stable, generally speaking. Yeah, as an enterprise mix, an it's enterprise better mix. to have a diverse enterprise mix <clears throat> than just focused on one particular... Oh, your chickens in one egg. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, um, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, congratulations on your success, and thanks for what you do. You, you, you bring a lot of fun to agriculture and a different voice. Um, thanks for joining us on The Yarn. Thanks, thanks very much. Thanks, Maurice. Matt Dalgleish and Andrew Whitelaw there from Thomas Elder Markets and their Ag Watchers podcast. It is really good to listen to. They do have a lot of fun and um, you should be thanking me for not playing their self-sung theme. Okay, so John Hassel is president of WA Farmers, a wool grower and a proud Muresque graduate. So I caught up with John and asked him just what the issues are for WA wool growers as he sees it. I think that in terms of sheep, the two big issues for us are obviously live trade and then shearing capability in the state. Um, keeping, getting and keeping shearers on a long-term basis and having them shear on time is quite a challenge. A lot of people this year have uh, run into a bit of fly strike problem because we weren't able to get sheep shorn on time and that becomes a big issue. And I think that's about retention of shearers in the, in the industry and the dedication of the shearers to their contractors. And so, look, there was a, a, a meeting here five weeks ago with uh, contractors, wool growers, WAF, PGA, trainers, shearers, uh, stud breeders, uh, state government. Uh, and from that, the West Australian Wool Tag Committee was formed to help coordinate and, and better retain people. And, and uh, is that... Perhaps part of the solution, working together? Well, I think we've definitely got to try and work together and actually find out the reasons why people leave the industry and what you know what would be needed to retain them. Um, is, is it a long-term job or is it you know family security? Is it you know housing in towns? We've got to look at all those things. Housing's not a cheap exercise anymore. That's very unfortunate. Um, you know, people like to be close to education and health facilities as well, and that's a big issue out in regional Australia. So, um, you know, automation is obviously uh, still a big issue for the industry. Um, it's, it's hard work shearing. Um, 
And you've got a very sort of unique situation in WA from a labour point of view. Um, there's not a lot of people in this state and there's a very big and expensive employer knocking on the door all the time. All the time knocking on the door and that is a big challenge. Um, but I think we've got a, a sustainable, renewable industry and we've got you know, the ability to be at home every night, which you can't do when you're in the mining industry. So I think that's a really good selling point. Yeah. And uh, just in terms of uh, West Australian farmers themselves, how is that, uh, how's that going? How's the, how's the organisation these days? Oh, WA Farms is ticking along pretty well. I think you know we've always got the challenge of there are less and less farmers because there are corporates coming in, and that is a challenge for us. And they're going out of sheep as well, which is not good. So uh, you know we've got to try and address those issues. And I've started actually personally contacting each of those big farmers and saying, you know, you should think about being a member because you've taken over 30 farms, and you know we're getting some good traction in that department. I think the the personal uh, approach is a very good one. That's a challenge, but uh, nonetheless, if we don't you know, look at doing things differently, we'll never solve the problems. And in Western Australia you have that unique situation where every wool grower is really first and foremost a, a cropper. How do we better put wool into the cropping enterprise over here? Well, you know, it's, it's probably not the easiest one to answer, Marius, but it's always about price, and that's what drives the differential between cropping and sheep, and that drives the differential between whether you have sheep that produce wool or just whether you have meat sheep. I know people, you know, some friends of mine who are going out of wool altogether, which I'm very surprised about. I think that wool's a good product. I think it fits our business really, really well. I don't think we're going to be giving up. In fact, we had meat sheep for a while and said, bugger it, we want to go back to wool. Um, we don't see it as a byproduct. Why did you go back to wool after going to meat sheep? Well, the meat sheep were just a bit too powerful. They'd knock my wife over in the yards, and that's not what we're in business for. We're, we're there to enjoy ourselves as well. And we also think wool is a, a good product. She comes from Ballarat, a good wool growing area. We like merinos, we like the wool, we think it's a good industry, and we're prepared to stick with it. But uh, we wanted the ease of going back to one sheep enterprise as well instead of having two, and, uh, and so that helped make the decision. But when they started uh, bowling us over in the yards, we thought, nah, not, not in it for that. Don't need that. Now, let's be honest here, the, the relationship between AWI and WA Farmers hasn't always been rosy. Um, you know, you are, you are partially there to call us to account, let's be fair about that. Um, how the, how's the relationship these days? Well, I think AWI is, is, is actually listening to people now. It, it felt for a while, I think, and this is a very personal thing because I'm kind of involved in trying to get, in, get myself on the board and involved in wool producers as well, and I felt that there was not enough listening going on. I think we've got a much better dialogue between each other now, which I think is a really bloody good thing. Well, long may it continue, but for now, um, thanks for having us at, the, uh, at your conference and um, good to see you again. And all the best. Thank you very much, Marius. It was great having a chat. John Hassel is the president of WA Farmers, and it was great to be in the West, and we will be introducing our new WA industry representative, Tori Kirk, in the not-too-distant future. But I hope you enjoyed that podcast. From me, Marius Cumming, thanks for having a yarn with us.